All Creatures Great and Small by James Harriet, St. Martin's Press, 1972. We are on chapter 18 as you sit and hear a story with Opa. Love you. Okay. I could look back now on six months of hard practical experience. I had treated cows, horses, pigs, dogs, and cats seven days a week. In the morning, afternoon, evening, and through the hours when the world was asleep. I had calved cows and farrowed sows till my arms ached and the skin peeled off. I had been knocked down, trampled on, and sprayed liberally with every kind of muck. I had seen a fair cross-section of the diseases of animals, and yet a little voice had begun to niggle at the back of my mind. It said I knew nothing, nothing at all. This was, a stra- this was strange because those six months had been built upon five years of theory a slow, painful assimilation of thousands of facts and a careful storage of fragments of knowledge like a squirrel with its nuts, beginning with a study of plants and the lowest forms of life, working up to dissection in the anatomy lab and physiology in the vast soulless territory of materia medica, then pathology, which tore down the curtain of ignorance and let me look for the first time into the deep secrets, and parasitology, the teeming other world of the worms and fleas and mange mites. Finally, medicines and surgery, the crystallization of my learning and its application to the everyday troubles of animals. And there were many others, like physics, chemistry, hygiene. They didn't seem to have missed a thing. Why then should I feel I knew nothing? Why had I begun to feel like an astronomer looking through a telescope at, the, at an unknown galaxy? This sensation that I was only groping about on the fringes of limitless space was depressing. It was a funny thing because everybody else seemed to know all about sick animals. The chap who held the cow's tail, the neighbor from the next farm, men in pubs, jobbing gardeners. They all knew and were free and confident with their advice. I tried to think back over my life. Was there any time when I had felt the supreme faith in my own knowledge? And then I remembered. I was back in Scotland. I was 17 and I was walking under the arch of the veterinary college in Montrose, into Montrose Street. I had been a student for three days, but not until this afternoon had I felt the thrill of fulfillment. Messing about with botany and zoology was all right, but this afternoon had been the real thing. I had had my first lecture in animal husbandry. The subject had been the points of the horse. Professor Grant had hung up a life-size picture of a horse and gone over it from nose to tail indicating the withers, the stifle, the hock, the pole, and all the other rich equine terms. And the professor had been wise. To make his lecture more interesting, he kept throwing in practical little points like, this is where we find curb, or here's the site for wingles. I thought of thorough pins and side bones, splints and quitters, things the student wouldn't learn about for another four years, but it brought it all to life. Those were the things he talked about. Um, The words were still spinning in my head as I walked slowly down the sloping street. This was what I had come for. I felt as though I had undergone an initiation and become a member of an exclusive club. I really knew about horses, and I was wearing a brand new riding mac with all sorts of extra straps and bottles, which slapped against my legs as I turned the corner of the hill into busy Newton Road. I could hardly believe my luck when I saw the horse. It was standing outside the library below Queen's Cross like something left over from another age. It drooped dispiritedly between the shafts of a coal cart, which stood like an island in an eddying stream of cars and buses. 
Pedestrians hurried by, uncaring, but I had the feeling that fortune was smiling on me. A horse, not just a picture, but a real, genuine horse. Stray words from the lecture floated up into my mind. The pastern, cannon bone, coronet, and all those markings. Snip, blaze, white sock, near hind. I stood on the pavement and examined the animal critically. I thought it must be obvious to every passerby that here was a true expert. Not just an inquisitive onlooker, but a man who knew and understood all. I felt clothed in a visible aura of horsiness. I took a few steps up and down, hands deep in the pockets of the new riding mac, eyes probing for possible shoeing faults or curbs or bog spavens. So thorough was my inspection that I worked round to the offside of the horse and stood perilously among the racing traffic. I glanced around at the people hurrying past. Nobody seemed to care, not even the horse. He was a large one, at least 17 hands, and he gazed apathetically down the street, easing his hind legs alternately in a bored manner. I hated to leave him, but I had completed my examination, and it was time I was on my way. But I felt that I ought to make a gesture before I left, something to communicate to the horse that I understood his problems and that we belonged to the same brotherhood. I stepped briskly forward and patted him on the neck. Quick as a striking snake, the horse whipped downwards and seized my shoulder in his strong, great, strong teeth. He laid back his ears, rolled his eyes wickedly, and hoisted me up almost off my feet. I hung there helplessly suspended like a lopsided puppet. I wriggled and kicked, but the teeth were clamped immovably in the material of my coat. There was no doubt about the interest of the passers by now. The grotesque sight of a man hanging from a horse's mouth brought them to a sudden halt and a crowd formed with the people looking over each other's shoulders and others fighting at the back to see what was going on. A horrified old lady was crying, Oh, poor boy, help him, somebody! Some of the braver characters tried pulling at me, but the horse wickered ominously and hung on tighter. Conflicting advice was shouted from all sides. With deep shame, I saw two attractive girls in the front row giggling helplessly. Appalled at the absurdity of my position, I began to thrash about wildly my shirt collar tightening around my throat, a stream of the horse's saliva trickled down the front of my mac. I could feel myself choking and was giving up hope when a man pushed his way through the crowd. He was very small. Angry eyes glared from a face blackened by coal dust. Two empty sacks were draped over an arm. What the hell is this? He shouted. A dozen replies babbled in the air. Can ye no leave the bloody horse alone? He yelled into my face. I made no reply being pop-eyed, half-throttled, and in no mood for conversation. The coalman turned his fury on the horse. Drop him, you big man! Go on, let go, drop him! Getting no response, he dug the animal viciously in the belly with his thumb. The horse took the point at once and released me like an obedient dog, dropping a bone. I fell on my knees and ruminated in the gutter, gutter for a while till I could breathe more easily. As from a great distance, I could still hear the little man shouting at me. After some time, I stood up. The coal man was still shouting, and the crowd was listening appreci appreciatively. What do you think you're playing at? Keep your hands off me bloody horse. Get the police to tell you. I looked down at my new Mac. The shoulder was chewed to a sodden mass. I felt I must escape and began to edge my way through the crowd. Some of the faces were concerned, but most were grinning. Once clear, I started to walk away rapidly, and as I turned the corner, the last faint cry from the Coleman reached me. Didn't meddle with ye things. Keep ye nothing aboot.